All right, let's pray. Father, uh, do uh, just thank you for the opportunities uh, both that David and Steve have had uh, this last week. Uh, we pray that those truths would um, uh, would germinate and uh, that you would grant repentance and faith. I uh, just pray uh, for ongoing conversations. Lord, it's, um, uh, it's difficult to have a one and done kind of conversational, Lord God. So we just pray for developing relationships, developing conversations, um, and Lord, that you would, you would rescue people for your namesake, uh, we would ask. Uh, Lord, we pray for this morning as we just think about better and try to practice uh, how to read your word faithfully and in the way you would want us, oh Lord God. Uh, we pray that you would bless this time, that you would give us insight into your word. We know we can't understand and apply and live out the scriptures unless you you enable us so we just pray for your grace and pray for your help in your name amen all right so what we're doing now is we're going to we kind of talked about last week uh like what's our overarching um goals uh for reading the scriptures so we talked about how they're produced dual authorship of um god and man we talked about um canonicity, how did they get recognized, the books of the scripture, how did they get preserved, and then last week we talked about, okay, how do you read it? How do you read it in a way that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord? Now, there's one overarching thing that we're always aiming for, no matter what, when we're reading the scriptures, and that is what? What are we seeking when we are reading the scriptures? What are we trying to do? Author's intent, right? So, human author's intent, because that's also God's intent. God spoke his intent through human authors, and so when we read the scriptures, we're trying to understand in context, in all the layers of context, whether that's geography, history, liter literary context, all those layers of context, we are seeking to say, okay, what was the human author trying to say? Because once I understand that, I understand what God is trying to say. Uh, we're trying to understand what it means. There's one meaning. It always means what it always meant meaning the meaning for that Moses or Paul or whoever wrote, it's the same meaning for today. One meaning, myriad implications and applications from the text. So um, what we also outlined is the kind of the general process that we want to go through always, whether we're reading devotionally or whether we're doing a deep Bible study. Either way, you're following the same basic flow. You're trying to uncover the human author's intent and... Uh, a good process to just kind of structure your time in reading is observation, interpretation, application. Observation, interpretation, ap application. Observation, you're noting what is true, like the facts, like you're a detective at the crime scene and you're gathering facts. And then you're also asking questions. Uh, now, here's the thing about questions. You might ask a question that the text was not designed to answer. Right? Uh, that's possible. But what you are trying to do to get the, 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 the mental juices flowing, you're trying to ask questions that would help you interpret the passage. And uh, you're not thinking about yourself at all uh, when you first um, are in those first two steps. You're not thinking about you. You're thinking about what is the text trying to communicate. And then, once you've got a handle on that, now you're in a stage to move on to application. What is it? How, how can I... What, what truth is there, and what was the application for the original audience? And then from that, well, what is the application or some application for me? So now what we want to do in kind of the remainder of our, this, uh, this uh, 
segment of equipping hour and talking about how to read the Bible. We just want to practice, and we want to practice on different types of literature. So you know that the scriptures are built up of different types of literature. We call them genres. So you've got we're most we are most comfortable with New Testament epistle. Um, you've got New Testament narrative. You've got Old Testament narrative. You've got um, Psalms. You've got wisdom literature. Um, and each time you switch genres, you kind of switch gears as far as uh, what you're looking for. You're still looking for the human author's intent, but the way that feels in different genres is going to switch. So we're going to start with the most familiar, and we're going to start with New Testament epistle, okay? So we're just going to practice together, and we're going to try to get better together. This is a team sport, um, and we're just going to focus on initially observation. and uh, observation. That's all we're going to focus on. So we're just going to worry about noting facts and asking questions, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians. Um, 1 Thessalonians. So, um, 1 Thessalonians, uh, before you, especially with a New Testament epistle, um, when you are jumping into an epistle and you're trying to start the process of observation uh, in context, what is one of the most helpful things to do uh, when you are jumping into a, an epistle? to help you with the context, to help you get your mind wrapped a little bit around the big picture. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, so if you've got a study Bible, right, uh, this is where study Bibles are helpful, or even some, um, not full-on study Bibles, but even some Bibles will have a little paragraph at the beginning. So that can be helpful, um, and a study Bible will helpful. What that will help you do is get a handle on what's the structure of the letter, What's the purpose of the letter? When was it written? Uh, under what circumstances was it written? Because that's going to all play into uh, how do we interpret and read the scriptures, okay? So reading your introduction in your um, study Bible can help you with that. So I'll give you a shortcut this morning for that. But in general, um, you would, you know, that would be a good step. You could even... If you're careful with it, you could even Google some things, right, and get a basic idea of, of the letter, although the internet's dangerous, so. Um, <laughs> uh, but let's, let's just say this, right? So 1 Thessalonians is one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. He wrote it in probably A.D. 51 or 52, okay? Um, and he's, he's probably writing from Corinth, and I will, I will try to prove that to you here in a second. Um, and this is where a map, uh, if you turn, turn to the book of maps, turn to your book of maps in the back, this is, you know, you know the maps in your back of your book, right? So, um, so the book of maps, um, will help you. So if you've got, you probably got one that's called something like Paul's first and second missionary journeys or somewhere along the lines, Right. And you see Asia there, and then there's uh, like Macedonia. Do you see those things in your, your, your maps there? Okay, so it's helpful to have kind of a sense of where Paul is at. So you see Macedonia right in that map. You've got um, in Macedonia, you have Philippi in the upper right-hand corner of Macedonia. You've got Thessalonica. Uh, there should be a, probably a little road connecting them. And so you've got um, Thessalonica a little bit down the way. Those are in Macedonia. Now, if you look a little bit south of Macedonia, there's um, a region you probably can't pronounce, because I can't pronounce it well, um, Achaia, okay, or Achaia, or however you pronounce that, 
And you will notice that is where Corinth is, okay? So probably uh, when Paul writes 1 Thessalonians, he's writing from Corinth to Macedonia, okay? Uh, what's, uh, Thessalonica has about 200,000 people probably when Paul uh, plants, when he's writing this in Thessalonians, right? So this is a fairly good-sized city, smaller than Spokane, um, but uh, uh, smaller than Portland, um, those sorts of places, but it's still a big city. It's one of the bigger cities in the ancient world, right? Or at least in the Mediterranean world. So uh, that's helpful to know. Now, uh, okay, you read your introduction, your study Bible, you get some of this framework in your mind. What's another good place to look at uh, for getting kind of your bearings in coming into a, a letter? Not only a study Bible, but even maybe prior to that we would look at uh, okay, f first paragraph will help us, uh, at least with some of the authorial information and that sort of thing. But even, I'm thinking outside of the letter, but uh, not necessarily outside of the Bible. Where would we go to help us get some bearings for a New Testament epistle? Acts, exactly, right? So, can't, um, so it, can't, it, doesn't, it doesn't always work, right? Um, for example, the pastorals, they're written after Acts, most likely, so that gets a little different. But... Um, for Paul's epistles, right, um, usually, um, usually you can line them up with his, uh, the, the, the narrative in Acts. And that's helpful to understand, well, how is this church founded? Under what circumstances? When did Paul visit? Uh, because that's part of the context um, and before leaping into the text. So turn to Acts 17. And to give you a little context here, um, so you can... If you looked, uh, remember um, in the book of maps, <laughs> uh, the map we were just looking at with Paul's second and third missionary journey, um, you saw that in Macedonia is Philippi, and in Acts 16 is where Paul is in Philippi right before he goes to Thessalonica, and we'll see that. Um, in Philippi, he gets, uh, remember, the, remember the, the fortune-telling gal? Remember that gal? And, like, um, Paul exercises the demon that's allowing her to fortune tell. And then everyone gets upset and, like, they get beat up and thrown in prison, which is a constant refrain in Acts anyway. But, um, and then they get released. The, the Philippian jailer gets, um, gets saved in his household. And then um, the magistrates are like, okay, let those guys go. And then Paul's like, hey, no way. Um, you guys beat us as Roman citizens. And basically, he's doing this to vindicate the gospel, and so he has the magistrates apologize to them before they leave, and they leave Philippi, um, which is, uh, I, I like that scene. It's like, all right, we're going to leverage our, uh, our Roman citizenship to make uh, for the sake of the gospel, so it's kind of interesting. But that's kind of the circumstances that happened in Philippi right before Acts 17.1, we get to see uh, Thessalonica. So someone go ahead and read Acts 17.1 through... Uh, 10, actually. Uh, through 11, rather, sorry. 17, 1 through 11. You just got to be confident and read as fast as you can through that one. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, so uh, let's just make a few observations. So we'll kind of, we'll, obviously we we'll want to make observations and stuff in uh, Thessalonians, but let's do a little bit of that even here just to help us with some context, okay? What do you notice about Paul's work in Thessalonica, his founding of the church there? What's that? Yeah, in what sense? <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, what do you mean by that, um, Bruce? Okay, took notice, good. And took notice for what reason? And who took notice? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So that's Paul's pattern. If there's this... So the nice thing about uh, the exile and the dispersion of Jews is that they had all these synagogues all over the place. So Paul leverages that every time he goes to a place. If there's a synagogue or even if there's just a meeting of Jews, uh, like in, in, in Acts 16, he leverages that as a launching point for proclaiming the gospel and for proclaiming Christ. So that happens here too. How, many, how much time does he get to spend in the synagogues? Yeah. Now, does it say... How, how long w would that be? Well, I guess someone said it. Three weeks. Um, does it necessarily say three consecutive Sabbaths? No, it doesn't, right? So eh, maybe important, maybe not. I mean, on the surface, you would think, may, may, you know, it's three consecutive weeks. So sometimes people talk about the Church of Thessalonica, and, you know, it's really like Paul was only there for three weeks and he's gone. Not necessarily, right? Um, even reading this account, that's not necessarily the case, right? Um, so that's something to keep in mind, right? Um, as we, just as far as trying to get our mind wrapped around what this church is all about. So he starts in the um, synagogue, okay? What else? What else do you see? Okay, yeah, so he's reasoning, he's persuading, um, it, that's, I mean, that's part of sharing the gospel is not only proclaiming it, but let me, let me reason with you why it must be so and why it must be true. Okay. What else? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's using the old Testament to prove these things, right? Okay. What else? Again, we're looking for things that kind of help us get in gear for um, Thessalonians, things that are just helpful to take note of. Okay, yeah, some were persuaded, some were jealous, which is, again, another key refrain in Acts, generally. Okay, so what ends up happening? What's that? Trouble, Trouble yeah. So they leave the synagogue, right? Um, and um, who also, not only Jews, but who also... Greeks, right? So Greeks is just kind of that general term for non-Jews, right? So people in, in, in general, although this is a very Greek region, this is like where this is like the area, I mean, Philip of Macedon, Alexander the Great's father, right? This, it's coming from this region. So it is a very Greek region. Um, um, okay, um, what else? Okay, yeah, leading women. Yeah, not a few. There's quite a bit. What else? Okay, so they incite a riot. 
And what's the kind of, and Luke highlights this, what's like the big deal um, before the powers that be? Like what, what do they accuse them of? Yeah, replacing the king, right? Like, hey, these people that have turned the world upside down, which means what? They've heard about this stuff in other places already, right? But um, they've come here also. Jason, who evidently is a believer, maybe he seems to be one of the leading guys um, in the congregation. And they're acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus, um, which... Uh, that's also part of the gospel. You see it in Acts um, later. Paul talks about he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, right? So you think of all of what we've talked about with the kingdom in, like, say, Matthew, right? And that does form the backbone of even the proclamation of the gospel. And you see the response to it here, and that's why they're, they're, they're ticked. Um, the, the city authorities are disturbed. Now, why is that? Here's a little bit more background about Thessalonica. Uh, they sided with the right side of one of the Roman wars. I believe it's the Julius Caesar side, if I remember my history correctly. They sided with the Julius Caesar side of the Roman Civil War, and so they got awarded the title of being a free city. And so they really like Caesar, and they really uh, are, are happy to have Caesar as king. They're really, they're really glad to be a Roman city uh, in that sense, or at least a, a free city. Um, but they, they are very into uh, uh, Caesar. Okay, so that kind of makes sense why they're upset um, in this juncture. Okay, anything else you see that kind of would help us get our minds wrapped around um, just Thessalonica or things that are going on there? Again, um, so it's, it's evident that they leave the synagogue. So even if you hold that there's three consecutive Sabbaths that he's doing that, there's kind of this indeterminate time when he goes off with everyone else, it seems like. So again, it's not necessarily that this church was just three weeks and then Paul is gone. It could be quite some time, a few months maybe, uh, that he's here, potentially. We don't know. There's the, um, he doesn't say specifically, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's just three weeks. Uh, one other thing, I had you read through verse 11 because we do see a little bit more comment about the Jews in Thessalonica, right? Uh, the Jews in Berea are more noble. Um, they're willing to investigate the scriptures, right? So they're more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica that we just saw. So it's a little extra tidbit just in kind of characterizing uh, the, the Jews in Thessalonica, okay? Anything else that you see before we, we um, do this? So again, this is just helps us get our bearings and understanding how did Paul form this church, uh, what happened. This, when this happens, this is probably A.D. 50-ish, okay? And the letter's probably written A.D. 51 or 52 because in Acts 18, Paul spends about a year and a half in Corinth, and we think he wrote 1 Thessalonians form Corinth, okay? So that kind of gives us some of the orientation um, as we think about 1 Thessalonians. Okay, anything else before we jump back to the letter itself? Yeah. Yeah. And this is, it's kind of one of those things, right? We see throughout Acts, like, you see that dichotomy of some are receiving, 
Others are rejecting. A lot of Greeks, a lot of Gentiles are receiving, right? But it's kind of this explosion in Acts that sets up for the worldwide church, right? And we'd only see that same explosion today. So, uh, okay, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians now. So we got kind of our bearings um, as we are thinking about the church in Thessalonica. So now we're going to do the same thing we kind of were just doing, in a sense, although we're going to do more of it and spend more time on it. Um, and let someone go ahead and read 1 Thessalonians um, Well, really, the first chapter. So we'll go read the first chapter. Great. So, now, what is our goal? Our goal is to understand what is Paul trying to do with this um, for the Thessalonians. That's the meaning, right? What's his intention? Um, what is Paul's intention and what he's writing here for the Thessalonians? Okay? So that's our goal. Uh, that's, that's what we do in the interpretation stage of things. What we want before that, we want to be good detectives, and we want to be in the observation stage. So we're going to not worry about interpreting yet. We're not trying to make any conclusions yet. We're certainly not trying to apply anything to ourselves yet. We are just trying to see what is there. And so two things. Um, what we were just doing, uh, observations. So what are the facts? But then also asking questions. Asking questions is one of the most helpful ways of getting your mind rolling on, uh, well, noticing some of the interesting points of the text, things that are confusing, or whatever else it may be, or things that it might just be helpful to understand. Um, because if you answer those questions, right, then it's going to help you um, interpret the text. Okay? So, let's just open season, right? Let's go ahead and... and we're just sticking with observation and uh, observation. No interpretation, no application. Uh, they're, they're off limits. Um, so 
Uh, just note what's there, what you can see or support from the text directly, and questions. So both of those things. Yep, there's a church. Church of the Thessalonians. Good. Mm-hmm. Very good, yeah, yeah. So we, we can see... What is he doing? He's thinking fundamentally, and he's remembering, right? And he, knew, he knows these people, um, the time he spent there, right? Um, we can also see just kind of how he's talking about these folks. It's probably he's been there for more than three weeks, right? Uh, probably. Um, I mean, again, there's, there's enough leeway in both Acts 17, and prob- it seems like, based on what's described here, that this is probably that he's been with them longer than three weeks, right? Okay. What else? So it's, and, and also along with that, right, he's, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So he's pointing at their example. One reason or another, he's pointing at their example and for their good, for their benefit. Um, yeah. He affirms their faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he affirms their faith. Very good. Um, in what ways does he affirm their faith? And we saw some of that affliction in Acts, right? A little bit, right? So we kind of know what affliction he's talking about. Um, Good. Now that's kind of, that brings up a question on my part, right? Like he says this, um, verse four, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now think about saying that, right? Imagine that I came up to someone today and I said, I know, brother, that you are chosen by God. You are among the elect. Wow. Wow. Is this a, so that raises a question in my mind, right? Like, is this a general thing or is this because of like Paul's an apostle, he gets to do this, right? Um, Is this a general thing that people get to do? Now, I'm not going to answer that right now, right? I'm just going to, you know, if I had, if I was making a notepad of all these sorts of things, which is a good idea or a Word doc, I do this in a Word doc when I'm doing this sort of thing, Uh, but I would write that down and I would just think about it and move on and uh, ask more questions and make more observations. What else? Okay. Yeah, what, what do you see that kind of makes you think about that, Jim? Okay. What else? Eden, you had something, didn't you? Uh, 
Yeah. Um, what, uh, and that's kind of, you know, when he says there, verse 9 and 10, um, for they themselves, for they themselves, well, in context, that's other people in Macedonia and Achaia, which are those regions that you saw in those maps, right? So we're talking whole regions here. And what do they, what do they see? Uh, the kind of reception we had among you, so everyone's talking about this, and turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, which is another kind of aspect about Thessalonica uh, that you would maybe read in an introduction, that it's a very idolatrous city. I mean... Greco-Roman world, they've all got their deities, right? But um, there was just a lot of aspect of that in Thessalonica. So that, that statement, that background, um, you can kind of see some of that there. What else? There's a tangibleness that Paul sees that he's able to affirm them, but it's not just him affirming them, but there's other people seeing those things as well, right? Yeah. It's interesting, those three at the beginning there, verse three. So what is he, Paul's giving thanks, um, and in that he's remembering, what is he remembering? Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Um, and it seems like our, it's, it seems like that that of theirs communicating like work is coming from faith, labor is coming from love, and steadfastness is coming from hope. So it seems that way. Um, and maybe right that might be a question. Is that what those ofs are communicating there? Um, so yeah, what else? Mm-hmm. But why were their motivations? Mm-hmm. Were these are motivated by law, mm-hmm. or by faith, by that structure to think they're pleasing God, mm-hmm. following the law, and they actually had a structure mm-hmm. based on the philosophy, you know, their mythology, Yeah, so a, a lot of those things have to do with motivation, and you can compare and contrast that with motivation in both the Jewish world and the Gentile world, because it's a good point, right? Like, every, every religion apart from the true gospel is a, it ultimately comes back to works righteousness at one, one level or another. So, Susan. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, so at least we know the observation there is this church, right? So he kind of, in a sense, goes back to verse 1, right? That the church, the assembly, um, is built up of Jews and Gentiles, right? And we're kind of seeing that, in both, and that's an observation to keep in mind, right? We're not just dealing with one party or another. We're dealing with both together in this church, so, which is a new thing, right? And that's part of the new thing that's happening in the new covenant, um, or at least it's broad application to the nations, and you see, you're seeing that dynamic play out in Acts, and then we're seeing it play out in the letters, too. So, um, One of the most important things, especially, especially in epistles, is to watch what are the main verbs, what are your conjunctions, um, because conjunctions tell you how thoughts are related. So, for example... Um, Verse 2, give thanks is the main verb. We give thanks to God uh, always for all of you constantly. So he's giving thanks constantly. Uh, what's he doing as he's giving thanks? Well, he's mentioning you in our prayers. What else is he doing? He's remembering. But all of that comes under the heading of giving thanks, right? These are just different ways of saying here's what giving thanks looks like. Um, we give thanks to you um, constantly. We give thanks to you mentioning you in our prayers. We give thanks to you remembering before God, our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So for verse 3, the main verb is, I'm giving thanks, and here's what it looks like, right? But then in verse 4, I've got, it starts with for. What does for communicate as a conjunction? Yeah, because of what came before, could be an explanation, could be a reason, but in this case, it seems like he's giving a reason Okay, so why am I giving thanks? Oh, okay, for we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. I'm giving thanks because he chose you. That's the basis of my, my thanksgiving that I'm exercising here. So that's a key, those are key types of observations that you want to make, especially in letters, because Paul is very, um, he's very logical. Proposition, support, 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 support. It's very, very... Um, I like it as a mathematician, right? Because it's like, okay, here's your proposition. You're supporting it with these reasons. You're talking about these ideas. Very different than reading a narrative. You're, it's just a different ballgame, right? So, um, but especially when you're dealing with a New Testament epistle, right? Watch the conjunctions and how they show how the ideas connect. And that's, it kind of reminds us, one of the things that we tend to do, we tend to pull a verse. I like that verse. I'm going to think about that verse. And that's fine, but you got to remember that it's in a context What's it doing in the context? What's the flow? What's the flow of the argument? Um, that's, that's because what's our goal? What's the human author's intent? Well, the human author, Paul in this case, is making an argument, and he's hoping that the Thessalonians will follow that argument um, to be able to capture and understand what Paul is saying. So, uh, um, um, yeah, exactly. So, so just watch, watch your conjunctions, right? Uh, what, else, what other kind of conjunctions do you see that, that help you connect ideas here. What about that because at verse 5? What's that because? That's a conjunction. That's, what does because signify? 
Dependency, yeah, uh, a reason, right? Because it's given a cause. Um, but what's that doing? What's that conjunction linking back to? What's he saying? And maybe that's one of my interpretive questions that I write off to the side, but even, even just uh, looking at the grammar a little bit, what's the because they're supporting or giving a reason for? Ah. What, what's yours have? Mm -hmm. Oh, so you got a four, right? You have a four? At verse, beginning of verse 5? Okay, so four because, all right, so we're in the ballpark there, the same kind of idea. Different kind of conjunctions, sometimes four can do more than cause, but four because, in either case, what's that supporting? Like, what's it giving a reason for? Okay, so we know, brothers, love by God. So he's, he's saying, all right, you're loved by God. We know, brothers, um, and he's calling them loved by God, but what does he know? He knows that he has chosen you. And then what? What is verse 5 doing? Okay, but uh, what? Yeah, well, how what? There you go, right? How does he know? that they are chosen by God, right? It kind of goes back to one of my questions, right? Paul's like, like just walking up to these guys and saying, hey, I know you're of the elect. <laughs> Whoa, really? Uh, how does he know that? And verse 5, because of that little word, either for or because, depending on what your translation renders it as, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, right? So he's giving the reason for why he can make an audacious claim that, like, uh, how can I, how can I say that you're of the elect? Well, because of these reasons, right? And even understanding that, um, now I'm, I'm kind of shifting. Uh, well, I'm kind of drilling on this a little bit, but even even seeing that, what reasons does he point to? How does he know, verse five? that they're of the chosen. What does he list out? Yeah. Power, Holy Spirit, full conviction. Are those things that are observable? Yeah, verse 6, right? Um, and verse 6, verse 7, on and on and on. He goes out to say, hey, yeah, here's what that looked like. So these things are observable, right? Which, remember, one of my interpretive questions was, hey, is this something... Well, really, it kind of gets into application, really. Like, already thinking... Uh, I know I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but just to, to... It helps me thinking through that logic here, right? These are observable things that he's looking at. So the question is, is this something Paul just gets to do as an apostle, or is this something that, like, any believer gets to do, or maybe even we could say corporately gets to do. Well, yeah, because they're observable things. Uh, and so could I, in good confidence, even say, yeah, I believe you're of the elect. I believe you're chosen. 
Well, if I'm seeing those sorts of markers that Paul is pointing to, then yeah, I have warrant because the sorts of things that he's pointing to are observable externally. Uh, you see how that works, right? It's already setting up for, I, again, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but um, it, it's setting up for doing the work and observation and watching those things sets up for later, even in thinking in terms of application, okay? Uh, so we're out of time, right? But uh, what we'll, we're not, we're not going to, we haven't interpreted anything yet. We haven't, interpretation would look like this. What does interpretation look like? Basically, when you're able to explain back that section of text back to yourself or to others, capturing what Paul is trying to say. You might say it in other words, but uh, if you are able to explain back, here's what Paul is doing, here's how he's doing it, here's the argument, here's what he's doing, right? When you're able to capture that, um, that's when you've done your interpretation, right? So we still haven't done that. Uh, we still haven't gotten the total package of all that he is doing, right? We'll work on it more next week. So if you want to, over this coming week, what you can do, and maybe you've already started doing this on a piece of paper, right? You could start just writing out observations and questions, and then we come back, and we will, we will work at interpreting, and then we'll work at applying, right? And just kind of working through that. Now, it's going to feel slow the first few times we do this, because we're getting used to uh, some of these things. Some of the ladies have already been doing this in the women's Bible study with Ashley, so you're more familiar with it. But it's going to feel a little bit slow the first few times, and you're like, man, am I really going to do this each time... I do my devotions. Well, again, it's going to feel slow. We'll get some practice, and then we'll get faster and faster at it is the idea. But again, the goal is not to be fast, right? The goal is to meditate on the text to, so that we understand it and so that we know God more. So, All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for, thank you for this church that there is those evidences of seeing the, the word come with power, the word um, be accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. The word come with conviction. And I pray that that would happen this morning, even as we, um, we uh, talk about something as seemingly mundane as parenting, but which is really um, so, so important. Lord, we just pray for our morning um, and our gathering together as we sing your word, as we preach the word, as we proclaim the gospel to one another. Lord God, help us to understand the scriptures better, help us to live them better, and to honor you with our lives. Lord, we, we love you. Um, grow us um, in our skills in reading your word and knowing your words so that we might know and love you. We pray these things. Thank you for this morning. In your name, amen.